0: Listening to Compassion Radio 360.
1: Good morning, honey. It's Friday and time for Compassion Radio 360. And today we're going to launch into something difficult to talk about.
0: Yeah, it's time. We've talked uh, last week about addressing the issues in Gaza and the West Bank. We're not hearing much about that in the news. But everything we already talked about on this program and in our Chasing the Word programs on Mondays has to do with the context of when the Word comes to us. Mm. I don't want to be in the business of tritely throwing around scriptures to solve problems in our emotional state and make it appear that we have a solution for everything every day. We just don't.
1: Yeah, that's not helpful.
0: The word's there for us to become like it. Sometimes the word says difficult things, demands what seem to be impossible things, and yet says, come be like me. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to shy away from that. At the same time, this is not a preamble for us to dump an agenda on our listeners saying, this is the way you should think, behave, or act in response to any particular situation interesting thing about the audience that we speak to. We have people that are activists that have been involved with peacemaking and relief work for years, have a passion for that. We have people who are in evangelical churches in ministry that have listened to us and have commented on our approach to things being so different than what they're used to with their theological training. Mm-hmm. We've got people from all stripes and all denominations, apparently, that listen to us. And the central theme seems to be for me when I read their comments is that they're just looking for someplace where the whole experience of the kingdom of God is recognized and, is explained. Mm-hmm. We obviously don't have every perspective on every issue or know everything about every group of people on earth, but we do know the people we've met and they are a fairly diverse bunch of people and they are faithful people. They're working out the kingdom ethic where they are mm-hmm. in the countries where they live. So we're going to be diving into the issue of Palestine today as just a first taste of the kind of deeper conversations that we need to start having, I think, with mm-hmm. the church at large.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we need to just say at the outset of this that what has happened since October 7th in Israel is devastating. On either side, there is so much destruction and so much hurt and violence. So many people are affected by this. And it's not just those people that live there in Israel, in Gaza and West Bank, the world is experiencing this because so many of us have ties to that country and not just through heredity, but our faith is Mm -hmm. wrapped up in that place. And so it's a very difficult situation to even discuss with any level of rationality because it is so emotionally charged. And it should be. Right.
0: I'm not saying that emotions are untrustworthy. You know, I've talked many times the past few years about how emotions tell us the truth about what we believe. Mm -hmm and that emotions are a really useful tool to get to the heart of the matter. I know it's kind of a mixed metaphor there, but it's true. The Word of God never tells us to discard our emotions. They talk about keeping our tongue under control and keeping our heart open to those around us and opening ourselves up to the kingdom of God. So that will always be, I think, an emotional thing. Mm -hmm. We are never called to disgorge a key part of our personality, a key part of our humanity Mm -hmm. in order to be right and to believe the right things. All thoughts are to be taken captive. Some Mm -hmm. thoughts are more passionate than others. I think those are the ones that come from the heart. And if you don't have a passionate response to what's been happening in the world the past two weeks, I don't know what to tell you, yeah. except to start over and ask God to give you a heart,
1: mm-hmm. because we don't understand our emotions. We haven't been taught. I mean, in general, some of us have been taught this, but we haven't been taught how to feel and understand our emotions. We get afraid of them. Yeah,
0: many of us are taught to fear our
1: emotions. Well, <laughs> so we, you and I have, have believing a, that. Yeah, you and I have a friend who was taught their whole life, don't trust your emotions. Mm-hmm. We don't do things by feelings. We do things by faith. Those are difficult statements for someone to really reconcile inside themselves because They're we all have emotions. Yeah.
0: Well, then there's a lot of ways we could work this particular program and the issues at hand. But I will say in the last word of preamble here, when Jesus speaks to the people, how did they respond? Mm-hmm. Were they rational yeah. Was it a easy pickings to decide which will be the principles I live by? What is he saying that's true about me? Or was it incendiary words at times mm. that created riots
1: yeah.
0: often? I mean, things that he would say were so outlandish, so beyond the scope of what people expected. That there was riots of disdain from the religious and political establishment, but there was also riots of hope Mm. in those who felt oppressed. I like that. There was nothing but extremism (laughs) all around him. And his words were extreme. Yeah. But they weren't unbidding. They were calling us to himself. Mm. They weren't trying to repel us. They were trying to cross over to the heart of the matter for every human being Mm. so that they could respond to God speaking directly to them.
1: Well, honey, I think it's really important for us to remember when we read the words of Jesus and we say, oh, we need to live by the words of Jesus. When he spoke them, he was speaking to a group of people who were living in occupation, Yes, they were being occupied by a very brutal government. Yeah, Jesus knew that. He lived that. He grew up in that, so he understood all of the ramifications of the things that he was saying. Yet he said them, and I don't think he said them thinking, "Oh, these are impossible words." No, he said them with the knowledge that these are. Difficult words, but nothing is impossible.
0: Yeah, impossible in our own frame of reference or our own strength, perhaps. Mm. I think it's fair to ask this question, honey. Did Jesus appear in history at a time of God's choosing?
1: Is that rhetorical, or <laughs> are you actually asking that? Oh,
0: well, that's, that's a real question.
1: Well, I would say yes.
0: Okay. If God was the one choosing his appointed time to deal with the violence of humanity and mm. the desperation of a soul— Would he pick a time of peace? Mm. He chose to enter in, I think, at one of the most brutal chapters in the history of mankind, and certainly for the nation of Israel. They were already a shattered stump of a country that had been through all kinds of occupation and had been taken into captivity numerous times, and their cities destroyed time after time after time. The only frame of reference that the religious leaders of the time had was resistance. Right. So when Jesus comes in and starts preaching a gospel of liberation, not just of resistance, but that a completion of all you hope for, and did it at a time where he was going to be facing the most brutal kind of deaths ever invented by mankind, he was taking it to the extreme. Yeah. He faced the most extreme punishment, and it was hearkened to, back in the Old Testament, the kind of death that the Messiah would have. Even back when it was written, the prophets couldn't reconcile these images of a suffering Savior, Mm -hmm. a liberator who doesn't succeed at liberating anybody. And yet, there was something that when Jesus showed up and completed his work was so obvious that this was the kind of God we have, a God who enters in. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to pray that as we're facing the issues of the 21st century and the ongoing wars all around the world, that we remind ourselves that God is a God who enters in now.
1: Yeah. yeah. The thing about what's happening over in the Middle East right now with Palestine and Israel and its neighbors, the Holy Land, as we call it, is that it's so completely polarizing. You're Mm. either for or against, you're on one side or the other. Oftentimes, so many people want to draw a line in the sand. If you cross this, then you're bad or you're good or whichever side you're on. We don't have to live like that. We don't have to live with taking sides in these situations. There is horrible atrocities happening all over the place there. The hostages that were taken by Hamas and their families are devastated by this. We've also seen the stories that are coming out of Gaza of the devastation of the bombings and the constant barrage of fire on top of these people, these innocent victims and the church that was bombed and people killed in that church. One of the oldest Christian churches in the world. I I don't take sides. I can't take sides because of the devastation there. There's evil happening. And I saw this thing posted the other day on a social media platform. And on the one side, it says Hamas is an extremist terrorist group that openly wants to destroy the Jewish culture. Anti-Semitic, they want to kill Israeli citizens. That's a bad thing.
0: And I'll say that we agree with that statement.
1: Yes. And then on the other side, it says the Israeli government is bombing Gaza and targeting hospitals, schools, evacuation routes, while cutting off water and electricity and food. It's been over 50 years that these people have lived in this squalor in the Gaza area.
0: And the reason they're living there is because of what they call the Nakba back in 1948 when Israel made its first invasion of the Holy Land after World War II. Mm-hmm. They were given weapons, and they snuck in against all international order and went for it. Yeah, And they managed to capture a large part of the Western Territory. Part of the reason they decided to invade then was because when the UN said, yes, you deserve a homeland, everybody who already lived there said, no way. We already live here. Mm-hmm. So there was bound to be conflict of some kind based on the entire world's intention of helping Israel find a homeland, and the rest of the Middle East and Africa and Asia saying, Where are you going to put them? Not in our backyards. Not in our yards. Yeah. That was the beginning of the conflict, which is ongoing now. Gaza and Israel are not fighting a new war. Yeah. They're fighting an old one. Mm
1: -hmm. So also you can say both of these things are true. Hamas does not represent all Palestinian people. The Israeli government doesn't represent all Israeli people. Both of those things are true and can be true. Advocating for the rights of the Palestinians does not mean you support Hamas. Correct. Advocating for the rights of the Israeli people does not mean you support what the Israeli government is doing. In Gaza. Both Hamas and the Israeli government have committed atrocious acts of violence towards civilians that must be denounced and must stop.
0: And as a believer in Christ, I would say absolutely. There are plenty of other people of other faith traditions or just humanist traditions that would say this is why we have international law. Laws that can be appealed to even if your nation does not adhere to it. You as a human being have the right to go sue for justice with the world if your own nation won't listen to you. Mm. That's why we have the United Nations to settle conflicts between nations, but also to stand up for the rights of citizens within those nations. Yeah. I know there's plenty of people that have been taught by their churches over the past 50 years, especially, that the UN is an instrument of Satan. Mm. I mean, I'll say it as yeah. blunt as that. Yeah. It is not. It is a fallible group of people that every nation has sent to one room to say, let's hash it out here.
1: Mm, figure out how to work this thing out.
0: Often it works.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when it works, it's because they're being peaceful and peaceable with each other. And they cooperate on solving problems with medical vaccination issues for places where there's pandemics or where there's food insecurities in countries where they're experiencing economic and climate crises. Those things are what the UN does well. Mm-hmm. What they don't do well is try to fight somebody else's wars. Yeah. We've got to take the teeth out of that argument that somehow the UN is a tool of the devil. It's not. It's a tool of people. And people are not always the tool of the devil. People are not always the tool of righteousness. They are people who make decisions. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries, relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, these are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day and more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. Your gift today will provide the means for us to begin some new initiatives with our Bible and relief partners that reach farther than we've ever gone before. Here's how. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time Business Hours at 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone, no matter where you are. And our new mailing address, P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We so much value your messages and letters. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. And so all those points you read from that meme, honey, those statements we have to hold not in equal value, but in truthful value. Yeah. You may feel more passionately about one side than the other in a conflict. Mm-hmm. That does not mean that you are a lily white all the time or that people on your team are always going to get things right. They yeah. just don't. Yeah. And we've learned that in the past 25 years with our endless wars in the Middle East against terror. Mm-hmm. We have declared war as a nation against an idea, against a ideology. Yeah. You can't destroy an ideology. What you can destroy is villages, governments, infrastructure. My personal opinion is, does Israel have a right to take it out on Hamas as a nation state defending territory that is being bombed, is being missiled by your neighbors? Yeah. America wouldn't put up with it if Mexico and Canada decided to start sending missiles our way because they were ticked at us for something. We would take out whoever was doing it. That does not mean that the choices they're making are therefore morally, not just justifiable, but morally superior. Mm. And the reasons why the conflict started back in the 40s has got to be addressed. And Sandy, even in the way that America is having a kind of reckoning in the 21st century for our original sins of invasion of a continent where 500 nations of people were decimated and almost completely wiped off the planet by our actions as a nation, we have to recognize that it really happened. And in doing so, we have to change our mindset that there are still the children of those children of those children Mm -hmm. who our nation went after. And we can say, well, it's not my generation. I didn't do this. Well, you're the inheritor of the wealth given to you by those who took wealth from others Mm -hmm. and then exploited it. So acknowledging that does not mean you are a lesser person or less able to make decisions for yourself. It means you are capable of actually looking at the truth and doing things differently going forward and to make peace. With our neighbors What a marvelous thing it would be If all the nations of this territory Which is America now Could sit at the table of peace And the children of those children Of those children's children Would look each other in the eye and say I value you Yeah And what you have to teach me I want to learn
1: What would you say about people who would respond to that, honey, and say, don't blame me for what happened hundreds of years ago? That's
0: a miscarriage of the point. Mm. You're looking at it from a perspective. It's all about me. It's not about you. In fact, if we are going to make it about the truth, we have to acknowledge what our forefathers did. Mm -hmm. You and I both have ancestors directly into the war room in the Civil War South. Our ancestors are part of the Confederacy. and I come from that lineage. As do you in the South, your family in Texas. That does not mean it's something to glory in, but it's also not something to look back and say, I hate my ancestors for it. I don't. Yeah. I can't hate the people I came from.
1: Acknowledging truth does not assign blame. People get into the blame game there, what we're talking about over in the Middle East right now. I read articles by Nicholas Kristof from Mm -hmm. the New York Times, and he is just a great writer. And he has reported hundreds and hundreds of stories from conflicts in the Middle East. He travels over there a lot. He spoke with a young man whose parents were both killed at one of the kibbutz that was attacked by Hamas. And this young man runs a hostel in Tel Aviv. He sees travelers from all over the world. One of the things that he said to Nicholas Kristof was, I cannot hate these people because they are human beings. Mm -hmm. I mourn for my parents. I mourn for friends I know that I've lost. I mourn for this nation. I mourn for the people of Palestine who are being devastated by the bombs. I mourn because we are all human beings. And that was so poignant to me. This man lost his parents.
0: There is no degree of separation for his
1: loss. Right. And yet he says, I mourn for the humanness of all of us Mm -hmm. that is being devastated by this conflict. I wish I could do that. I wish I could be that at some point in my life if I'm facing this kind of devastation or some kind of horrible loss at the hands of another person. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. He just says, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give them your coat as well. If they force you to go one mile, go the second. Give to the one who asks of you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Apparently those were really bad people. (laughs) And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do this. Be perfect or holy as your heavenly Father is holy. Like you said earlier, honey, this sounds so trite in Mm. the midst, in the middle of such devastation and such horrific things that are happening. Yeah. Jesus, he was living this very thing, not the bombs, but the atrocities.
0: Yeah. Daily, people were crucified outside of towns. Mm -hmm. Daily, people saw oppression in action. Daily. Daily.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So the entire nation had been living through this ever since the Romans showed up and decided to kick the Assyrians and the Egyptians out. Mm -hmm. Israel had not been a nation, and yet they clung to their book. For many insurrections, it was used as a defense for rising up against oppressors. Everyone knew every time that Israel had risen up, in a rebellion, they have been punished, and their children and their children's children paid the price, literally. Mm-hmm. Jesus is stepping into the middle of an oppression which he knows will punish those who are innocent. Mm-hmm. He knows that. So when he starts talking about these things, he's not talking about just general metaphors, he's talking about particular policies that the Roman Empire had against any occupied territory including the Forced Labor Act. Mm -hmm. They could force anybody to carry any load that you had with you. If you're a soldier and were tired at the end of your trek, you could Shanghai somebody, we would say nowadays, to carry your load for you for at least a mile. Mm -hmm. After that was done, they were free to go about their lives. In other words, for a time, you could enslave people, anybody, a kid, Mm -hmm. an old woman, whatever, if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. You had that right in the law. And Jesus looks at that and says, well, that's the law. And if someone comes at you and forces you to do the thing you think is so detestable, carry a load for a Roman occupier, don't stop there. Mm -hmm. And you, honey, have studied a lot about the ways of contemplation and reflection that go into getting to the heart of God and how you literally will go on walks, focus time where you do nothing but think on the thing you were doing, walking with your feet, talking to God, listening for his voice. Mm -hmm. Jesus, I really do believe there is saying, think about why you're on the road. Think about the person you're carrying that for. You may not have enough time to sort this out in your mind in one mile because you're just hating this thing. (laughs) But what would happen if you went beyond your hate, beyond your resentment, and walked the next mile in the presence of somebody who is oppressing you? Are you thinking about the onerousness of the chore anymore or are you thinking about that person? I think Jesus is always trying to get us in a position of saying, this is a real human being next to me, as detestable as they seem to me at first take. I'm as detestable to them as they are to me. Mm -hmm. What does that mean and what can be done about it? I believe that's the kind of place that Jesus is trying to take his listeners. We're going to make a pivot now about the audiences that Jesus was talking to versus the audiences that the apostles were talking to. Paul says things like, you know, in your anger, do not sin. And those words get softened and patted down into oatmeal when the original intent of what he was saying was much more along the lines of in your fury, in your rage, don't royally screw things up. Mm-hmm. That's the import of what he's trying to say in that scripture. So Jesus is talking to. The whole world at the time. He knows the Romans are listening. The religious leaders who don't respect him or will never give him credit are listening. And all of those who are truly oppressed by everybody are listening to him. Mm -hmm. It's everybody. Paul and the apostles, when they talk about these issues, are talking to the church. So as we listen to their words, it's a narrowing. It's a refocusing of the bigger picture that Jesus was painting and saying, in your circumstances, as those who have crossed over the line into the kingdom, what are you going to do? And when you face a persecution for simply being who you are, how are you going to respond? In that way, it's very much like what Jesus was talking about, the oppressed.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting that Paul writes this to the Romans. Yes. The church in Rome was extremely persecuted. Mm -hmm. And he says, bless those who persecute you in chapter 12. Bless and do not curse them. Mm -hmm. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. I would just say a side note that God is love and his vengeance is doesn't look like what we think it looks like.
0: Yeah. In fact, we get pretty uptight with God for not acting the way we want it. Exactly.
1: Paul goes on to say, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good.
0: And that image of fiery coals on their head, he's using a word picture and a almost a pun, a play on words, which talks about how the Holy Spirit descends mm-hmm. on us like tongues of fire. Mm-hmm. He's saying, pouring the Spirit of God mm-hmm. down on people.
1: Yeah. He's twisting from a verse in Proverbs, actually, from Proverbs 25, where it says, they'll heat burning coals. Well, at that time in the temple, yep. there was the fire of the Holy Spirit, like you're talking right. about. And that was the bowl that they were referring to.
0: And they use a, a coal from that to burn the incense, which it would swing around the temple. and mm-hmm. would be able to smell the fragrance of his presence. And it
1: was purifying.
0: Yes. Yeah. All those things harken back to very literal things that everyone who listened to it at that time knew. Mm-hmm. They understood the imagery.
1: Yeah.
0: I just want to make a plug here for hope. That there's a reason for us to ask God to enter into what we are going through. Ask God to enter into what the Israelis are going through right now and... For the Gazans and the citizens of the West Bank who are facing the rage, the fury of Israeli settlers around them to find a way through this that goes to hope. Mm -hmm. And for the Christians in those communities, there are very few of them in Israel that actually consider themselves Israelis that are believers and followers of Jesus, but they're there. There's a much larger community in Palestine that follows Jesus. But for those who feel like they have no home in either place, pray that God will pour his fiery coals on their heads to invigorate, to bring to life their spirit in Mm -hmm. the face of an unimaginable suffering. We can do that. It may not be easy because we'll have to think about our own anger ourselves or our own disdain for others that we've been taught even in church. And to lay that at the altar and say, I do not want to hate. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be bitter against people I've never even met. And I want to ask you, God, help me love those, first of all, that love you, and beyond that, love like they do. How do the Christians in Palestine and Israel love their neighbors? Mm -hmm. They're living out the words you just read, honey, from Jesus and from Paul, right now, right where they are, even as they mourn their dead.
1: I want to close with a verse from the book of Isaiah. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Hmm. Learn what the others are feeling and thinking. That is our duty. That is our job, our mandate.
0: As ambassadors of Christ. Thank you, friends, for joining us for Compassion Radio 360 this week. Pray for those who are definitely in the trenches as they seek to follow Him where they are. Thanks for joining us today. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training in theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry. These are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Or give online at CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.